Hi, this is Devon Harris with Keep On Pushing. And if you want to improve your communication skills, then you need, you absolutely need to be listening to the Art of Communication podcast with my man, Greg Rice. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme. Today was an awesome day. I got to talk to Devin Harris, who is one of the founding members of the original Jamaican bobsled team. The same Jamaican bobsled team that was featured in one of my favorite movies as a kid, Cool Runnings. So it was great to get to talk to him. But Devin was also a captain of the Jamaican Armed Forces, in the Jamaican Armed Forces, and he's a renowned motivational speaker and author in the U.S. today, where he is furthering his message to just keep on pushing. And that was really the key to his success is that he never gave up and he just kept on pushing. So we talked about a lot of great things. He shared his story around how he became a member of the original Jamaican bobsled team and the successes and failures that they had along the way. Um, We talked about the extreme importance that he puts on authenticity in communication, whether it's one-on-one conversations or if it's speaking to an audience. Authenticity is so important to him. And we talked about the keys to motivating others to change their lives or just motivating them to take a different path, right? How can you communicate to drive that more effectively? So Devin is just an awesome guy. He was so much fun to talk to. And and there's so much that we can learn about communication and life from a, a guy who's accomplished so much. Devin, welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. Really excited to have you join us today. Hey, Greg, it's awesome to be here, man. Thank you so much for having me. For sure, man, for sure. You've had a quite an amazing journey. Um, so I'd love to touch on some of that and, and then also talk about what you've learned about communication and leadership along the way. Sure. I'd love to kind of kick it off by just telling me how you ended up joining the Jamaican Olympic bobsledding team. Right? Tell me a little bit about that story. Yeah, so, you know, that, that journey started when I was about 15 years old. That's when I started um, running track, training seriously. So it was 1979 and um, was a year before the Moscow Olympics. Mm-hmm. ABC Wild World of Sports had a series called uh, Road to Moscow. And in it, they featured athletes from around the world, different disciplines, and telling their stories, basically, you know, their journey to Moscow, but in it was also their personal stories. And, you know, Greg, when we think of Olympic athletes, we think of these superhuman beings. But what I saw in that series was the fact that Olympic athletes were average, ordinary people just like you and I. Uh, And it dawned on me then that anyone could become an Olympian if they had this extraordinary dream and an equally extraordinary desire to do the work to, to achieve it. So... Fast forward from there, I'm out of high school. I enlist in the army. Uh, one of the big goals I had um, completed my training at the Royal Military Academy, Sandhurst, and I'm back in Jamaica and I'm 21 years old and I'm walking down to the officer's mess and I'm having this really intense conversation with myself. I'm like, So, you know, you have accomplished your big dream. What, what, what's next? Is this it? What, what are you going to do with your life, man? Wake up, you know. <laughs> 
And I go, oh yeah, the Olympics, because it was 1987 and the Olympics were coming up in Seoul, Korea mm-hmm. in 1988. And, uh, you know, I'm Jamaican, but I'm not a sprinter. I'm probably the only one who's not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a middle distance runner. So I'm like, yeah, the Olympics. So I start training. I start running five miles every morning in hoping I could get fit enough to go to the Olympic Games. And around about that time, two Americans who lived in Jamaica came up with the idea to start a bobsled team. And they couldn't find any, any sane person from the summer team to do it. So they came to the army looking for athletes. My colonel suggested that I tried out for the team. Not because he thought I was this amazing athlete, but a philosophy in the army that says, Officers must always participate. And there, there are all these enlisted men that he had going to the team trials. So I figured he would send his young fit officer as well to make up numbers, basically. <laughs> that's not me. That's just not in my nature to go, yeah, there was a bobsled team and I was at the trials, you know, so he didn't make the team. I can't have that conversation. So um, I, I didn't know how I was going to make the team, quite frankly. I was at the time, what I would call army fit, not sports fit. And by that, I mean, I could walk 100 miles with 50 pounds on my back and a rifle in my hand, no problem. But I hadn't done any real sports training for two years, man. But I went there determined uh, to make the team. And I tried my darnest and well, here we are. Wow. That's amazing, right? Keep on pushing. <laughs> As you like to say, just don't give up. Stay persistent. Yep. Completely. And um, so, you know, anybody who knows about boxing knows it's really a sport for sprinters, explosive speed and power. Uh, um, so right away, you know, that's not really up my alley as a middle distance runner. But, dude, you know, I was there just kind of thinking, oh, if they select four people, what can I do to be among the top four? I just kept trying for the entire two days. And on day two, uh, near the end, they had what they call a push test. It was a, uh, they had a makeshift sled on wheels and you had to push it. And although I didn't know anything about bobsledding, I just knew this had to be the most important test, no matter. And I ended up with the two fastest pushes. I pushed faster than the fastest sprinter that was there. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, there were two guys from the U.S. bobsled team who had come down to uh, administer the trials. And I remember one of them saying, you had a good day today. <sighs> I exhaled. I was encouraged. Yeah, indeed. For good reason, right? Now, what, whenever I talk to folks who participate in Olympic sports, I love to get a feel for the importance of communication um, in the team sports, right? Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about uh, how you communicated with the other bobsledders on your team. What does communication look like in training and even, uh, you know, when you're competing? Yeah, you know, it was um, certainly on the first team, it was a little bit easier in some respects because three of us were army. So we kind of, we spoke the same language from that perspective. Uh, the one civilian guy, uh, we uh, we had some issues uh, because he felt the three soldiers were ganging up on him. And just like, no, dude, we, we just want you to work hard um, kind of thing. They... <sighs> Yeah, so, you know, in in an instance like that for us, it was really, hey, this is what we need to do. Again, it was very kind of very army regimented uh, kind of way for us. This is what you need to do. Let's go get it done. So the issue, as I said, with with my friend, um, the the civilian, 
um, he didn't all didn't always appreciate the way we passed on information. So it was a challenging from that perspective. But even in subsequent teams, uh, you know, I've, I've been heavily influenced by you know my time in the army, and, and I so believe in the importance of getting the information down to everybody who needs it, right? The, the, the teachers, make sure you get information down um, in a timely manner to those who need it because it could mean the difference between life and death. And in a sport like ours, it actually is, is, is relevant because you could actually get killed. So it was really just about making sure that you're passing on that information. And you kind of learn, I kind of learned over time that there's a different way to pass on information to civilians as it is to pass it on to soldiers, right? Civilians are uh, sensitive. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, and it's, I think there's an interesting lesson there, right? That you have to tailor your message to the folks who you're communicating with, right? Whether yeah. it's army versus civilian or your boss versus somebody who works for you or one type of customer to another type of customer, you have to know how to tailor your message. That's, I mean, and I, I mean, I started learning that lesson, yeah, you know, working with the, the guys, the civilian guys on the team in subsequent teams. And then, you know, after I left the army and I actually moved to the U.S. and started working in the civilian world, yeah, that, that, hit. so now I was um, not just working with Jamaican civilians, I was working with American guys, a different culture, uh, in a unionized environment, mm-hmm. you know, so you they go, okay, all right, let me, unfortunately, I'm, a, I'm, I am the, I have the kind of personality that allows me to kind of hang back for a little bit and listen and learn mm-hmm. and um, kind of soak in the environment and so on, as opposed to, you know, being brash and arrogant and making a fool of everybody, as it were. Yeah. yeah so uh, any tips on being a good listener? I think that's a skill we're all trying to get better at. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it, you know, it's a, it might sound a little bit cliche, but it's true, man, is to, is to keep your mouth shut and keep your ears open. Um, it, it, one of the challenges, I think, and, and it's something that I'm personally working on, is a lot of times when we say something and the other person is speaking, all we're doing is thinking about what our next, our next response is going to be, as opposed to truly hearing what the other person is saying. And that's really key, I think. Um, yeah, you may have an agenda going into a conversation, into a meeting, and that's really just, that should be a guide. Um, when you get in there and you open that dialogue, um, you, in order to be most effective, you really need to hear, as, uh, as in feel, and uh, not just with your ears, but with your heart, quite frankly what the other person is saying, um, and perhaps ask some questions to clarify. So, you know, you can all be on the same page. Yeah, it's such a, it's a, such a critical skill. And it's, a, it, it's interesting to me, like part of the skill of not being in your head about what you're going to say next, it takes courage. Because part of what, at least for me, right, part of why I'm thinking in my head what I want to say next is because I might want to be impressive or impress this person or persuade this person or come across in a certain way, I have to give all that up, right? Because if I'm just listening and not thinking what I'm going to say, uh, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to come across as when I do speak. So I can't plan yeah. it ahead. But you're actually much more authentic and effective that way. 
Yeah, you're right, though. It's, it's, uh, it's almost like, you know, when they're listening, you're rehearsing your lines. Mm -hmm. so exactly, you yeah. Present it in the most powerful way possible. Um, you know, and, and it, what that does is that it, 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 like it, it tickles your ego, really. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm so proud of myself, man. Look at that response, right? Uh, although, so I had a really, <laughs> I just remember this, really <laughs> interesting experience when I was at Sandhurst. We were doing a really short um, course on um, dealing with the press. And, and so there was, uh, you know, we went off for lunch and I was coming back to, to be interviewed by another, another officer who was, you know, pretending to be a member of the press. And, you know, they had a, um, a, an outline, a scenario that you were supposed to read. But I'm, I'm thinking to myself, it's an interview. I just answer the questions. That's, that's all, right? And so, you know, I turn up as a press officer for the battalion. And they're like, yeah, we have Lieutenant Harris here from the, the press officer. How are you? I'm like, it's great to be here, was my first. And, that, and I practiced that all lunchtime, right? <laughs> all, only to realize that the scenario was about something pretty serious and grave that I wasn't supposed to be all chirpy. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, you, you like, got oh, 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 I'm happy. You shouldn't be happy to be here when someone just got killed, dude. <laughs> yeah. What are you so happy about? Yeah, oh. you know, so I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I guess it's not just a conversation then, right? Yeah, you have to have context. Yeah. So that, that's important. I think context is important to have, as well as you mentioned earlier, right? You can have a goal for an outcome of the conversation. You just can't. Uh, from there, you gotta you gotta let it direct you, but not like dominate your thinking during the conversation. Yeah, yeah, you can't jump all over that goal in the, in the beginning. You have to work your way towards it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So tell me. So we kind of talked about listening a little bit. Tell me about other critical skills in leadership. Like, what does it take to be a really great leader, a really great communicator? My philosophy is that you um, endeavor to put yourself in the other person's shoe. You endeavor to. It's kind of, it's, it's, that, it's that golden rule, man. Treat people the way you want to be treated. I, I think if all of us strive to do that, the world would be such a be much better place. Uh, you would have really effective leaders. You'd have really motivated followers, so to speak. Um, because in, in the end, I think all of us want to be treated as um, a, full, a full person, not just as an instrument of production. I think, unfortunately, uh, too many of us in leadership roles, yeah, our, our salt is earned through the, the production of others. Yes, you know, it's what they do, their contribution. Um, but there's, there's a way to do it that is really effective. It's not necessarily always, do you have to maybe shout sometimes or, you know, be firm and stern and aggressive? Yeah, that's just part of life. But for the most part, you know, it's not about cracking the whip, but, you know, being nice. Yeah. Uh, you know, earlier you mentioned the story about the bobsled team when you kind of had the civilian on the team who maybe you had to change his work ethic a bit, right? Mm -hmm. And I also know how important persistence is to you. So I'm curious of if you're in a team setting, how do you convince others to have the same drive and persistence that you have or that you want them to have? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really about selling them the dream, so to speak, the vision. Uh, you know, I always feel like if you can 
go back to the vision, man, and say, hey, this is what we're trying to achieve. This is what we're trying to achieve and work your way back, get them to work their way back to where you are now. They, they are more likely to be inspired and, and motivated. When, when you can't get someone to really uh, persist and work consistently towards the vision, you know, it turns out that I, and more, more often than not, they're not the right person for that team. If you don't have, if if they're not buying into the vision, man, there's there's nothing you can do really, because they they somehow there's is one one or two, a couple of things. Either they just don't believe in the vision, or they want to be freeloaders. <laughs> you know, I haven't, I haven't used that word in a long time, but they they just want to go for the ride and enjoy all the accolades. Um, without, without, and it's, 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 it's burdensome, you know, but, but that's how I, that's how I see it. I, I think back to the, like those two major examples, being in the army and being on the bobsled team. And it's a little bit easier in the army because you can shout and bark <laughs> and all else fails. But, you know, on the team, it's, yeah, it requires some some coaxing and some diplomacy. And quite frankly, and I've had this as a, uh, you know, started out as a brakeman, I became a driver. And I remember my first year, we had a trem- we had tremendous success, man. My brakeman and I were breaking every Jamaican records in, 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 in sight the first half of the season. And he goes home with an with a ego this big, I'm Jamaica's number one brakeman, and stopped working. Oh, so yeah. Parted, yeah, so we parted company. Like right? that's another guy I can work with, you know. Yeah, yeah. So there's two pieces, I guess. There's a motivational piece, something that maybe you can influence as a teammate or a leader, and then there's the fit piece, which is a lot harder for you to motivate. Like that one has to be assessed and dealt with one way or the other. Yeah, um, and you know, regardless of the team, whether it's a bobsled team or an engineering team, an accounting team, or what have you. You know, generally, when we are hiring, you know, recruiting an athlete, hiring someone to your department, for the most part, you're hiring their resume. Mm-hmm. You know, so this guy can run fast and he's strong, good fit, right? This guy is skilled at whatever it is, good fit. But you're firing for personality. So, like, you know, mm-hmm. you're just not a good fit on this team. Yeah, you know, I know you can run faster than everybody else, but you're killing everybody else, right? You're, you're just killing the team spirit. So we're so much better off without you. So bye. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you have to do that. And sometimes that's the best thing you can do for that person as well, right? If it's not, yeah. they're not likely to be as, as successful as they want to be. Yeah, I agree. You know, so, uh, you know, I have um, some... Uh, you know, a teammate who believes in um, what's the, the word he uses. Well, I'm just drawing a blank. He says you, it's not curl, but you have to, well, hmm, I just draw a blank. Yeah, I can't remember. The, but but uh, you have to be, I'm, I'm using a, a, a different word, vicious, mm-hmm. um, in, in your assessment and, and how you deal with people. And I don't believe that. I believe as a leader, you have to, um, kind of like a coach, you have to train, you have to guide, you have to teach, you have to develop, right? You, know, you can't just, because somebody makes uh, one little mistake, you go, 
you know, you have to find a way to, to train and develop them. Completely, completely agree with that. Yeah. So change topics a little bit. I know that you have done some speaking and some work around diversity. So I'd love to get your feel on number one, the value of diversity, but number two, how can we just do a better job driving more diversity in, in our teams and our companies and our society? Yeah, I mean, diversity is incredibly uh, important. You, you know, there is nature, uh, it, it, nature by its very nature is not homogeneous. There's just mm-hmm. this diversity of everything um, that's around us. And so when you think about, even if it, let's think race and you live in a country that is predominantly white or predominantly black, there is still tremendous <laughs> diversity in that environment, right? Because everybody comes with such a different perspective, different abilities, different interests, um, different level of expertise. And, um, and there's no team that succeeds uh, tremendously with everybody being able to do the same thing equally. You, have, you need a guy who is really great at defense, you need a guy who's really great at offense, right? Sometimes, and you have people who kind of cross over. So I think it has to be the same thing in, in society as well. We need to, um, I, I take my cues from sports. And um, when an, an athlete don't care, really, unless you understand the person has a personal beef, but generally you don't care if this guy is white or is black or is short or is whatever. If he can play, he can play. Because in the end, you want to win. And I think in, in society, in the workforce, uh, you know, if you were to look at a guy and go, well, you know what, if I knew that my retirement or my medical benefits or the bonuses I was going to get at the end of the year depended on this guy doing his work, would I care if he was black or white or it was a man or straight or gay or whatever? I don't think you'd care in the end because you know that hey, he can do it, he can get it done versus this other person who looks like me and this is in my best interest. Because in the end, all of us, we, for the most part, you know, we are working with our, for our own self-interest. So I think that kind, of, that kind of way of looking at things that would help us deal with diversity. On a related topic, I know that you do a lot of work for underprivileged kids, specifically in Jamaica, um, but also potentially in the U.S. Uh, I'm curious of your thoughts on how to drive greater social mobility so that folks in those disadvantaged situations have more opportunity to, to be successful. Yeah, I, I, again, I think it really goes back to recognizing that all these people who look different or are different for by whatever standards we, we use have the ability to contribute as well and contribute as well as anyone else can. And I think if you, if you do that, first of all, it, it, it allows you to be able to assume that you are the person that's making the decision and it allows you to be able to relate to these persons. If you can think of them as hey, you know, my retirement depends on him doing well, um, or my future, you know, the future of my kids depends on this person being able to have the hope of upward mobility. You know, the, the challenge is that when you see others as the other and you feel so 
detached and distanced from them, there is often not an interest in in connecting and ensuring and opening up an, an avenue for them to progress as well, say out of the inner cities, because in your mind it doesn't impact you. Where the truth is that if those people had hope of better opportunities, all of us would benefit. Because as I say, a riding tide floats all boats. I've always believed that there's just a tremendous amount of untapped talent in, in the disadvantaged populations of the world. You know, how many kids are in disadvantaged situations today that could have a huge impact on the world, but never get the chance to? Yeah, I agree. I mean, and that's part of the reason why, you know, I'm so passionate about going back in those neighborhoods and doing what I can to inspire even one because I'm one of them, you know, I'm, I, I see myself in them. And I just realized that man had, you know, there, but for the grace of God, there goes I had the ball bounced a different way. I could have been in a very different seat than the one I'm sitting in now. Yeah. So you mentioned inspiration. So currently you're kind of in the business of really motivating people and inspiring them from the stage, right? Which isn't an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. But I'd love to get your thoughts on how to motivate others. And specifically, you know, if you're a speaker, as you are, how do you motivate them from the stage where you don't, you know, you're not a leader, you don't have a relationship with them, you're not their leader or their coach, or anything. you have no connection to them, but you need to motivate them. How do you do yeah. that? Yeah, so the, 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 the challenge is, you know, and I call myself a motivational speaker, but I kind of believe really that motivation comes from within. So what I'm trying to do is to inspire them by telling them a story. Um, and I'm fortunate in that I have a story that I that may be in a book, but I put it there. I wrote, I wrote a book. I didn't read it. I didn't read somebody else's story. So I can stand on a stage and speak congruently about a, an experience that I had and what my thought processes were and the challenges and what the end results are. And they're not always perfect, the end results, but that's what makes it human and that's what makes that's what makes it relatable. And I think everyone, all of us can relate on some level to somebody else's story, right? So this is a, I'm a 15 year old kid, you know, running on a gravel uh, strewn dirt track in Jamaica in the, in, you know, 96 degrees in the shade, seeing a story of, you know, somebody from halfway around the world, a country I've never heard of before, going to the Olympics and, and was able to make a connection between their experiences and the ones I have and their aspirations and the ones I had. And so that's what I try to do from the stage. And it sounds like authenticity is, is really important to the process for you. Oh, yeah, man. Um, without it, what do you have? I mean, just, just think about the number of times you have met someone and you go, man, I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but there's a something about her or him. And it's because they weren't authentic, right? You know, it's just like, you know, if you want to get all spiritual, there's just like this spiritual connection that we all have with each other. Whatever it is, I think, although we may not be able to define, describe it in the moment, we can sense a phony. Uh -huh. So I believe the most powerful way any of us can turn up in life 
is to be authentic, be ourselves. Yeah. And, and for a lot of people, it's a very scary thing to do, though, you know, because they're spending most of their lives trying to not let people know who they really are. Yeah, that, you know, what? that's that's so true. And they have, um, you know, obviously, some people have been able to achieve success as the world defines it. Um, even I guess they're authentically bad. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what it is. You know, they're authentically bad. But, you know, we're talking from a, a positive perspective here. And I, and I get it that people struggle, you know, because they are, they're, some people are filled with self-doubt and low self-esteem and, you know, you're kind of, you know, maybe depression and anxiety and they put a front, uh, they put on you know, this veneer without, you know, dealing with. And I think even in those instances, you know, some of us were kind of more discerning. and going, I don't know, man, this it looks like an all right guy, but I, I don't know, there's something about him. You know, and you may not become really good friends with him, just an acquaintance, just because you can't pinpoint what's really going on. Yeah. So any other tips to becoming a great, a polished speaker, a great polished speaker? Yeah. So <laughs> can I go back to my army days? Oh, indeed. So, so at Sandhurst, they taught us the seven Ps. Prior preparation and planning prevents piss poor performance uh, yeah so dude practice man stop getting them you know that's the thing you know like i meet people like man you're a speaker how do you get into that i want to do that i'm like well first of all you have to have a story to tell and then you have to um put the work in it's not just a, that's the thing that people don't recognize is that, that there's a lot there's a lot of effort that goes into you know giving a good presentation, whether you're talking about being a public speaker like I am, or you're given a presentation at work, don't get up and wing it. Prepare, 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 and then practice. I practice all the way up and even now until it's time to go on stage, right? So don't, don't be lazy, man. Put the work in. Practice yeah. and then just get up. Because the more you practice, the, the more at ease you feel because mm-hmm. you know uh, apparently public speaking is a scary thing um so i've heard <laughs> are, are you are you scared of it you still get a lot of anxiety around doing it no, no i i do get a little bit uh, uh some butterflies before i get on stage but you know i that's just um if you're not nervous it means that it's not important to you in my yeah. opinion you know, so you know, I get a little nervous, but I get on stage. I say, "Hello, I'm good," because I know I practiced, and I trust, and I trust myself that I'm not going to forget. And I and oh, and I and I usually approach it as a conversation. So when someone is asking me about, "Hey, what's a tip?" Especially a new person, I'm like, "Hey, you're having a conversation. Stop thinking of it as a speech." You're having a conversation, man. You have, and just imagine that there's a guy over there, a girl over there in the front row, and you're having a conversation with her or him, and everybody else is listening in. Because mm-hmm. we have all had those conversations in, in the public space where you're talking to one person, everybody else is hearing you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, but, but when you practice, then it, does, it feels a lot more natural. I think it's a great way to think about it and not necessarily something that I've heard before or have, have attempted before. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's so, great. Let's, let's just, let's just have a, let's just wrap. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a few more questions for you that I'd like to ask everybody who I have on the show. So the first one is around the power of conversations. I'm a strong believer that a single conversation can change the whole direction you take in your life. So I always like to ask folks who I have on the show, if there's one conversation you can point to that had a really big impact on the direction that you ended up taking. Yeah, um, when I'm asked a question, I just always go back to my grandmother, man. You know, she, she's the one you blame for, for me sitting in this chair. And it's, and it's not like it's one conversation. My grandmother was this amazing storyteller. And um, she was, but the stories that I remember for some reason were the ones she told me about soldiers and the amazing things they could do and not get hurt. And it just kind of fired up my little five-year-old imagination. And I didn't know if I could do it, um, Greg, but I was like, man, I want to do it. I want to do it, man. And then, uh, but here's the important thing about that. It's, it's not that she inspired me just to become a soldier. What she inspired me to do, and that has really impacted my life, um, perhaps more than any other thing I've heard, is she has inspired me to believe that I can go pursue results, you know, go after dreams that other people thought were incredibly difficult or impossible. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, you start doing that and you get a little success here and there. So, well, it, did, it, did, it did look impossible, but I did it. So now nothing really seems impossible. Is that where your drive and your persistence come from? Uh, in part, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I guess the other piece is just uh, an unwillingness to do without that which I want. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's the thing, though. If you if you dream about having something is because you think it's going to make your life better in some way, shape or form. And there's at least in that part of your area, that, that area of your life, you are thinking things are not just not quite the way I want it. And so once you have that vision, you set that goal, you just kind of have to go for it, man. Otherwise it means that you're settling for, mm-hmm. you know, what you have now as opposed to what you could have. Yeah. So second question, as you think about all that you've accomplished so far, if you could have had one communication skill in more abundance, what would that would have been? That would have made it all a lot easier for you. Ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm only learning now to ask questions. I've, I've never been one um, to ask questions for regardless of the circumstances. And it's very rare that I ask questions. I'm like, I, sometimes I just go off assuming, um, or just, I don't know. I just kind of took it, took what was told to me and either acted on it as the way they wanted me, or I went off and did my own thing because I'm a rebel. But, I, but I think just asking questions because you get to learn and you get to understand more fully what's going on and what the other person is thinking and trying to do and say. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. sure. A skill I think I can certainly get better at as well. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, now that I'm doing interviews, I'm learning. <laughs> as am I. <laughs> you kind of waited late, dude, but you know what? Better late than never. Yeah, I'm, le- yeah. I'm learning to ask questions. It's never too late. <laughs> as questions go, last question for you. Who's the best communicator that you know, either know of or know personally, and why do you say that about them? Yeah, you know, so that's a that's a really tough one. I'm not yeah, that. If I had to choose one, oh wow! Actually, so I was thinking about 
Winston Churchill initially. But then as I'm talking to you, I thought of, uh, and unfortunately these are all political people, but as I'm talking to you, I thought of Michael Manley, who was Prime Minister of Jamaica when I was growing up. Uh-huh. And then as, as soon as I thought of Michael's name, I thought of Nelson Mandela. Um, Winston Churchill had an amazing command of the English language, man. Um, but, but, he's, but still he used, you know, fearless, simple language. It wasn't, he wasn't trying to impress you with his verbosity. Um, she just, you know, found a, a simple way to express his thoughts. And so I thought, so that, that's who came, came to mind. Michael Manley um, was just uh, very, very charismatic, um, uh, you know, and, uh, and very down to earth, really. Talk about, we we're talking about authenticity earlier. Uh, but that's what you find in, in Nelson Mandela as well, just humble. Because I think, you know, when you are, as we spoke about earlier, willing to show your vulnerabilities, people just, people are able to connect um, so much better. And that's all part of the communication process. It's not just the words. So I think of Churchill in terms of, yeah, the words that he used, you know, Manly um, because it's, you know, and, 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 and Mandela because they were, one was very kind of, um, you connect with him because he was down to earth. The other one was very humble. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, I'll allow it. I'll allow you to go three. I feel like you need four now because you need a whole bobsled team. You can't stop at three, but I'll let it go. So, let the, it. The two, oh, um, so, <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, well, you're getting me to go all the way back, man. So when I was at Sandhurst, we all had to study leaders and give a presentation. Mine was on JFK. Mm-hmm. So I'd go with him because he was a visionary and that's part of the process, man. You got to, got to be able to communicate that vision with passion get people to believe it right so yeah that's that's my bobsled team right there i love it bobsled team full of the greatest communicators that you know that's awesome um and that's a first too but so final final question where can folks find out what you're up to where can they connect with you yeah man um thank you for asking that my website www of course dot devonharris.com thought i keep it simple devonharris.com um my uh, on Instagram and Twitter, my handles are at keep on pushing 88. Keep on pushing 88. Of course, I'm on YouTube, but keep on pushing always. And I'm on Facebook, keep on pushing with Devon Harris. So you get the theme. I'm a very <laughs> creative guy. <I> just keep <laughs> <on>. <laughs> That's funny. And the keep on pushing podcast, right? Uh, yeah, I'm a bobsled man. What do you expect, dude? That's all we do. We push. <laughs> That's as creative as it gets. That's funny. That's funny. Well, Devin, I really appreciate your time today. Um, really fascinating conversation. And I think you have a really unique take on leadership and communication. So thanks for sharing that with my audience. Hey, my man. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, guys, uh, you know, make sure you keep tuning in to Greg. He's delivering you some, some really good, uh, solid, powerful uh, information. So stay tuned. Keep on pushing. Thanks, Devin. I really appreciate that. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. 
We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the communication nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.